All right, welcome back to another episode of Producer Grind Podcast. Karen Tina JB with me. Yo. T2 in the building. What's good? What's happening? What's happening? England's in the building. What's good, bro? Facts, man. This, this is big, man. This is, first of all, this is our first interview with a producer from the UK. Wow, that's crazy. Which is big for us. And, and it's our big, it's our first interview with a primarily house producer. Right. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people in the comments are like, yo, all you guys do is try producers, man. Right. Diversify. So we got, we got you, man. We got T2. I'm happy. I'm happy to be part of uh, inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> you know Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, I just want to, you know, give the people um, a little background, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Um, now this man has one of the biggest house songs of all time, especially in the UK. Um, we're going to talk a lot about publishing deals, admin deals, owning your masters, leveraging, um, getting more sources of income. And this guy, I've been, I spent about, what we spent about four hours the first day. Four hours the first day and probably another four. <laughs> yeah, another three, four time, hours yeah. the second day, man. Just 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 talking, man. He put me onto a lot of game, man. Um so we're definitely interested to pick his brain and have him drop these gems on the community. So we're gonna get into all that stuff, but let's give him a little background, man. Let's bring it all the way back. Um before your music career, I know you said you've mm -hmm. been pretty much an entrepreneur since you were fifteen years old. Somewhat, yeah. Just trying to um figure life out. Cause I left home at fifteen years old, so I had to kind of figure life out, you know what I'm saying, um, from a young age. So I had to find a way and make mm -hmm. a way for myself. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. So, you know, before I, I was 15, when I left, I was in the streets. Yeah. Um, just like over here, over there, when people are poor, they do what they need to do to get by. But I kind of found my way through music and applied the same things I learned on the streets into the music business. And it kind of worked out for me in the beginning especially on the underground level because it's the whole independent grind. Yeah. You treat it just like, you know, quote-unquote trapping. You Back know then you were selling CDs and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, just like I was trapping. It's, it's the same thing. Nothing was changed as the product has changed. So I kind of used the same mentality to kind of put myself in position and it was working out great for me in the beginning. And then now this is, just for the people, this is about what year, like 05, 06? Uh, 2006. 2006. End of 2006. That's when I started to actually do the, the music music kind of stuff. So who, how'd you first get introduced into it? And to music in general? Yeah, or, yeah um, just in creating music. Like, what, how'd you get into it? The love for music, really. When I was young, I thought I wanted to be a rapper. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But I realized, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. Even back then, I was honest with myself to know that that's not my strength. Mm. And that's not what I love more. I love, I love the beats more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Timberland was like my biggest inspiration. So him and Missy, kind of inspired me. I'm like, oh, I want to make my own beats. And I started mm. making my own beats probably when I was about 12 or 13. Hip-hop beats or? Yeah. Mm. That's my first ever genre. That's my first love. You know what I'm mm. saying? Um, and I did that, but it was not really feasible where we're from because there weren't no industry yeah. compared to now for that kind of music. There mm. was the importation of it from over here. Mm. But as far as like the UK shit, like, there wasn't no platform. So I was also trying to make what was local to us, what we liked as well, which is like UK garage and house music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just mm. back then. Right. Mm. So what, like what programs were you using? And <clears throat> um, I've had it all, man. In the beginning, because back in the day, you guys might be a bit too young for that shit, but back in the day, you needed like an infrastructure to actually make music. You needed a, <laughs> a sound card, which was expensive for a little teenage boy, a computer, which is super expensive back then. 
your keyboard and your speakers and all that. So I didn't have all of that. So I, I started discovering like demo softwares like Catewalk demo, yeah. uh, even FL demos and Reason 1. Yeah, what reason we on now? No, eight or nine. Yeah, like I've there, used yeah. reason one. That's that's what I kind of begun with. You know what I'm saying? Oh geez. Yeah, yeah. I'm still young, though, by the way. I just started <laughs> very young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still actually very young, but yeah, like so. Yeah, like about twelve or thirteen, I started to make music and just like being around older guys because people my age weren't really interested in mm. doing music. So just learning from older people around me that was into the music and. Mm trying to befriend studio owners and shit so I could, you know what I'm saying, get in there and learn the game, so mm. to speak. So what was like your your mindset? Were you making music just to hustle and sell, to make money? Were you looking for long term to get a great label deal? Like what were you looking for? In like, the beginning, yeah. it was just a dream. They weren't really, we weren't making no money. We didn't make money for years. So it was more to do with just the fact that it's a dream. I love music. I want to be like the Neptunes. I want to be like mm. Timbo. Like, right. Just a dream, really. It was nothing like that because you don't know how you're going to make the money. You have to be in it to know how to, where the money even comes from. As a kid, you're impressionable. So you're just watching like MTV Cribs and you think, okay, cool. So I can live like this. Yeah. I'm doing that. So it's worth chasing a fucking dream because I live better than all the local drug dealers. Yeah. It starts to make sense for a little dreamer like me. So it was worth me putting the effort in. And when did it start to pick up for you? Uh, when I was about, well, we got a subgenre like, you know, it's, it's a form of rap, you might as well call it, but it's our, our, our take on it, which is influenced by our, our heritage as black people in England, which is um, it's called grime. So yeah. I was in a crew and we was making grime music, so to speak, and I was like the main producer for the crew. And I was the only one with the studio. I remember I told you I left home, so I had to set up in mm -hmm. my spot and all the kids used to come over because they couldn't do no music at home. And I already bought like a whole studio and put it in my house. So in my crew, I started making the music for my crew and we made a name for ourselves. We didn't make no money off it because the music industry for black people was not really commercially viable. So we weren't making no money, but we got popular. And I started to build a name because we was the first set of people locally to be making our own music and just putting it out. You know what I'm saying? And the kids was doing it via Bluetooth, having the music on their phones. That kind of built up my name. I built up a little fan base locally, like in my town, the following town, just locally, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's kind of how it started. Then I think a few years down the line, I started dabbing into house, kind of an offshoot of house called Baseline. Um, and I was making tunes just so the older homegirls can like vibe to it because they're the ones hitting the clubs and partying to that kind of stuff. Mm. And I wasn't, so... Just did that and they kept taking the CDs and taking it out of town with them. And somewhere, somehow, one of the big DJs on the scene at the time like heard one of my tracks and he played it in a club. And that's when the shit just went crazy. Mm. And was that heartbroken or was that before? No, it was way before that. It's a tune called Save My Love. I just sampled a fucking vocal sample and just put a crazy bass underneath it. And it just, it was, it just went off in the club. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But because I was already popular from school, I was one of the popular kids. People kind of supported it. Everyone just latched on locally, you know what I'm saying? Everyone latched onto it. So that kind of just, it just kind of started like a whole snowball effect, really. Mm -hmm. From that time when that tune got played in the club, then it's, that tune kept going up. Then the, uh, the DJ ended up hitting me up 
talking about he needs more tracks off me. If I keep doing these kind of tracks, I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Because remember at the time I was making grand music and hip hop. I wasn't really even interested in that kind of style mm. of sound. It was just something I could do because I've got the skills to do it. Uh, but the hip hop and shit weren't viable. I'm seeing this DJ get into it. So I'm trying to, you know what I mean? At the same time, I'm trying to leave the streets alone. So whatever way I could use the music to get me out, I'm going to do it. So I just zeroed in on that style of music mm. um, and kept giving him tunes. Then after that, I just thought of a concept. All right, cool. I'm giving him tunes. He's going out DJ. He's getting, he's getting paid. I need to stop what I'm doing and how I'm living my life because I'm moving too fast. So I need to get paid. So I thought of a business plan in my head how to turn that into money. That's how the independent, um, you know what I mean, thing that I did started. That's how, that's how I began to do my own CDs. I thought, because I wasn't even a DJ in the beginning. So to actually make money, my whole thing, I had to sell records. Before you, <clears throat> before you made that transition into like coming up with the business plan, yeah. do you think the DJ would have even given you uh, a chance if you hadn't already built a name for yourself? Uh, yeah, he didn't know me. I was plugged into the kids scene. Mm -hmm. The grime music is a bit like rap, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure you're aware of grime. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's a bit like rap. That was the kids. Do you know what I'm saying? So you weren't plugged into that. It was plugged into the older people going out to the club, dressing better and having a good time. I was just fucking with it. Do you know what I mean? With the younger crowd. So he didn't really know about me. Mm -hmm. He was a big name. Do you know what I'm saying? It was a benefit for me and he was just playing the music. What I did do, which was clever, right? I don't even know if it was a thing back then. I was putting producer tags on my shit. Because mm -hmm. at first, what the DJ used to do, they used to ask you to do a thing called specials, right? Mm -hmm. You put their name, you shout, shout them out on the track. Oh, wow. But what they was getting, they was getting clout off the back of that shit. Like, they made the tunes, but they didn't make the tunes. Because right. um, people was confu getting confused. Yeah. So I'm like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> That's a little, little slimy. Not yeah. slimy, but... It is what it is. Yeah. It was a finesse. And right. it worked for a while. Mm -hmm. But I was like, nah, you know what it is? Because with the grind music, that's how I got popular because I used to tag my shit. Mm -hmm. So I transferred that over to the baseline um, side of things, which is the offshoot of house. I transferred that over because I needed people to know who's making the music. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And that's when the shit caught fire because I kept giving this DJ the shit and it keeps having my name. So they keep hearing the tune and the tagging, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's attributed to the... Um, to the one person, it's like, yo, who's this kid? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it became like a thing, like, who's this kid? Who is this kid? We keep hearing his name. Who's this kid? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, word in the street. He's only 16 or 17, like that. Like, because mm -hmm. I was probably like 17 back then. Yeah. And, and it just kept going up at that point. My question is, how did you, like, how did you perfect your craft back then as far as... From, from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah just like, how, yeah. like... Like, cause you know, I'm thinking like, okay, so you can't go to the clubs. You don't know like how, how shit needs to hit. And then there wasn't as much like YouTube content to learn and stuff. Like, well, how were you learning and perfecting your craft? Um, first of all, I'm privileged to say that um, I had a mentor. I never actually um, spoken about this ever in the interview. It's my first time. And I'd like to apologize to him because I've actually never talked about that part. And it was a vital part to my uh, career. His name is Junior Willocks. He was an engineer at a big studio called Host Media Center in my city. Um, I booked a studio session and I recorded my first ever song. It was shit. Me and my homegirl was just rapping. And he was, you know what I'm saying? He was just bullshit. Yeah. But I befriended him. <laughs> yeah. 
when I befriended him, he started letting me just come around and just be like a fly on the wall. Mm. And he started teaching me how to like even engineer and even to run a, like a big mixing console and shit. Uh. And the main thing he installed in me was uh, originality. And that's always stayed with me to this day. And that's what worked out in my favor is being original, being your own self. Because he's like, look at the people you look up to. They all sound different. Back then, originality was a big thing too. Like mm. back in the day, like, a Timberland beats a Timberland beat. Yeah. Pharrell beats a Pharrell beat. So he installed that in me from a young age. Then I used to go raving like to the clubs underage. That was just a thing. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, I used to that was the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so from like 14, 15, I was in the club. You know what I'm saying? I actually stopped going to the club when I got deeper into the streets because it's just like my life was not really cohesive. There was nothing for me to be partying about. But mm. um, yeah, so going to the club, the first thing I used to notice, I used to be like, I like these tunes, but I wish they had this to it. I wish they had that to it. I can make these tunes much better. Mm. And I was probably cocky to even think like that from a kid. And I was like 15, I'm like, I could do this better. I could do that better. You know what I'm saying? Because my approach to music has always been different because that's what I've been taught to be different. And I'm thinking it needs a bit of aggression, it needs a bit of this, it needs a bit of that. And I started to just put that into my music. So whatever I do, usually it's a take of my own take of what it is rather mm. than directly what it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. You said back then originality used to be a thing. So yeah. that must mean now. Yeah, it ain't. It ain't. It ain't no more. I think the thing is with producers nowadays, everyone's too desperate. And when you're desperate, what you do, you mimic what's popping. Mm. just to get on mm. it, people mimic so much to the point that the producers that are popping they're kind of working with these with these guys because they got their style down pat so it makes their work easy it's like yeah I'll fuck with you you make beats just like you sound just like me come so that way I can make 10 beats instead of 5 in a day right. you know what I'm saying yeah. mm. so that's what's going on nowadays no one's really original no more and the ones that do kind of try to do something slightly different it pops. I'll give you an example. Take Keith. When he made um, the tunes he made with Blockboy JB, that to me reminds me of the shit that really got me into hip-hop production back in the day, which is DJ Paul and Juicy J, mm -hmm. the down south shit. So that to me is a sound I'm familiar with, but a lot of, young, a lot of the young crowd ain't. But that's a Memphis sound. You know what I mean? That's an original right. Memphis type of beat. Right. So... It just sounded different to the kids and they, they mm. latched on. But that's that sound, if you you know what I mean, if you know music from back in the day, you know that shit there. That's right. that's old school Memphis shit. So but it worked. So, you know what I mean? It's the risk he was willing to take. But he had everything to gain and nothing to lose at that point. And it popped for him. So so do you refrain from collabing with other producers? I do that all day long. Yeah, I do that all day long because I'm putting my own flavor into whatever they got going on and vice versa. I actually collaborated with quite a few people since I've been here. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. I don't, I'm not against collabing. No, don't get me wrong because I think that you tend to learn a lot from producers and I wish I actually done a lot more collabing in, in life mm. because someone might teach you how to EQ better. Like I was teaching one of my friends that I worked with here like how to make space in a track how to make space in between frequencies so your shit just hits different and it just clean up. Mm, to right. clean up your track, you know what I'm saying? So that's something someone else has taught me and one of my other friends taught me how to um, 
make the kick, marry the bass when it comes to like hip hop production and stuff. Mm. So I was trying to figure it out for the longest amount of time. Like, you know, here's a gem, the illusion that a lot of people when they hear a hip hop beat, they think it's the bass knocking, it's actually the kick. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's shit I had to learn, this is recent, so mm. it's good to collab, but it's also very good to be original. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking it back, you know, you're, you're doing your, your thing underground, you're building the fan base, you know, you're making a little bit of money selling CDs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you just walk into this big hit. Yeah. And, you know, just walk us through it, that. It, it didn't quite happen like that. Um, it didn't? No. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was, you know, I started to build up my name. I became of age so I could go out and DJ in clubs and stuff. But even with the DJ, people wanted to book me, but I was not a DJ. But... I'm a hustler. So we're going to learn how to DJ on the spot. <laughs> so I went and bought decks, uh, put them in my homeboy's house and I just practiced the day of the booking because they was trying to pay me some money. Like, listen, I know people that would work for a whole week that wouldn't make that money. So to me, I was like, shit, like, we're going to make the money. Um, I learned how to DJ on the spot in the clubs. We used to DJ advice, well, CDJs back then as yeah, well. Yeah. So that's CDs. And I remember one time, because I was inexperienced, I pressed the eject button on the wrong CD and the club just went quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the club went quiet, bro. Silence. But check this out, though. People love my music that much. They didn't give a fuck. Mm. So I just put the CD in, press play, and we continued. Um, but so I learned on the spot. And in the midst of me doing that and me bubbling, my past caught up with me. And I was in a lot of trouble with the law, so I was on trial <clears throat> at the time. So I had verdict day the following day at night. I'm at home. I'm like, okay, cool. I might be going to jail for a while, so I need to make a tune that's going to kind of keep my name out there. Um, I could give it to the big, I was still working with the big DJ. That was my people who was like mentoring me at the time. So I'll drop the tune on him. He'll put it on his mix CD for the month. He'll keep my name out there. That's the least I could do, you know what I'm saying? Um, so in the midst of doing that, that's how heartbroken got made the night before I went to court the following day. Dang, what a story. Yeah. And you said that wasn't even originally a house song. No, it wasn't. I recorded that uh, over an R&B beat like two years prior. So I was probably like 16 or 16. Yeah, 16, I think. Uh, over an R&B beat. We actually never actually finished the song properly. Because for an R&B song, you need BVs, you need all kinds of stuff. You need like, you know, you need ad-libs and all kinds of stuff to make the song complete and a bridge and all that stuff. Yeah. But it was just a verse and a chorus and a verse. Do you know what I'm saying? And the vocals weren't even sounding right. So I ended up pitching them up. That's why it sounds the way it sounds. Mm. It sounded like a little girl. The girl was not little. She was young, but she weren't little. Do you know what I mean? We was the same age group. And I just sat on the vocal for about two years. Did nothing with it. But obviously I had the court case coming up the next day. I thought, you know what? Let me just, what happened to that vocal? I really like that. Take the vocal, revamped it into what I had popping at the time, and it worked. Um, so yeah, long story short, finished the tune, emailed it over to the DJ so he has it before I went to court the next day, went to court the next day. I ended up beating the case. The case got thrown out. Um, can't really get into the particulars. The case got thrown out. And um, by um, the mix CD came out on a Wednesday, I'd like to believe. I remember being pressuring me to send him something for it. Um, 
by Friday or Saturday, I was in a club and all the guys were walking up to me telling me all the girls from around their way were singing, raving about this track, this track, heartbroken, heartbroken, heartbroken. And from that point, that's when it just went crazy. It started just every month, it just kept going crazy. Mm. And then how, how, how did you... How did walk us through the the time period after that until you know what I mean the label start calling and things start turning up? Well, what I did establish early in my career, there was a DJ that was from you know what I mean my side of the country. His name was DJ Q. He had an underground show, um, late night underground show, and he used to play my stuff prior to Heartbroken, and you know what I mean obviously that tune naturally was supporting it, so we kind of built a relationship, and he started playing the track. And he's from the feedback he got, his producers picked up that this track's really kind of big and they kind of it moved from that to daytime radio on a BBC One Extra um, radio station and it started to grow. And You're I, getting radio play as an independent artist back yeah, yeah, yeah. when that was I've been getting of. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting that for months. I was getting that probably for about nine months straight. Mm. Yeah, so that naturally <laughs> was another. Thank you. Bless you, bro. Thank you. Um, that was a that was naturally one of them tracks that stood out. So I, I was actually on what we call the A list for months before the labels even started to call. Wow, you know what I'm saying? So that's literally what happened. So I think after about, cause the track came out in January, 2007. Not out as in for release, but as in like started to hit the streets organically. So from that point. I probably didn't end up agreeing to do anything with a label till about September mm. 2007. So that whole time, it was just a building process. But like I was telling you, when I sat down with you the other day, was the fact that we have holiday resorts where like UK people go over from different parts, different towns. Mm. And it's like the Miami sort of, it's not as glamorous as Miami. I ain't even going to say that. But you know, it's like... <laughs> that vibe. Yeah, spring young people kinda. just being young and stupid, doing yeah. what they do. You know, spring break type of environment. But my track was like the track for that summer. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So you got different people from different cities, people from my town putting them on. Mm-hmm. Like this is the shit from where I'm from and it's became a thing in the clubs over there. That's when it spreaded across the country. I think after that, that's when the labels kind of um, started to call. Did you have like a business plan? Like once this all happened, like no. know, on the business side, like was it just like a, oh shoot? I on that level, I think that's where I fucked up because I weren't ready for that. It mm-hmm. happened too quick. Right. I was in the streets in 2006 and in 2007, you got labels calling. I didn't expect it to be that quick. Mm-hmm. I was happy to be able to not be in the streets anyway. Never mind the labels calling. So the next level shit, because it was not the norm. Mm-hmm. What I was doing was not the norm. There was not signing black kids. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like I was, there was a blueprint to look at. There wasn't. Mm. It probably been years since they signed someone that looked like me. So I wasn't expecting it like that. Mm. So what'd you do? I got overwhelmed. I was young. So I'm like, shit, I need, this is like, it's having a hot potato in your hands. You need to like, how can I, who can I work with to help me to figure this out that's got experience? Because I, I ain't got the experience to, mm. I'm saying, deal with the what's at hand. It went crazy. I had no manager for like majority of that time. I was managing everything. I was running my own record label. I was doing my own thing. I was doing everything myself. I was being my own booking agent myself. So it was like, which is too much work. 
And at the, at the same time, I'm young too. I want to I I mess with girls and stuff. I want to do what young people do. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You don't want life to be too serious. So I got overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Partly it is my fault because I could have been a bit more, what's the word? A bit more Steve Jobs like or a bit more Bill Gates like. What I mean by that is the fact that them guys don't give a fuck about anything else but the dream or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That way I could have got all the information I needed if I was really looking for it. Even though it was not readily available like it is now. Mm. It's crazy how people still ain't, don't go looking for the information. I like the way you put that though. Yeah. More Steve Jobs like Bill Gates like. Yeah, their tunnel vision. Elon Musk as well. Like They, they got serious. From a young age. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, all that shit. Yeah. As yeah. a reason they're, they turned into billionaires so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Like some of us, we like to party. We like girls. Like in my younger years, I'm put it out there. I'm chilling. <laughs> I'm saying I'm very responsible now. But you know, that's what people like to do at that age. They yeah. like to party and have a good time. Yeah. With kids, we think that's the thing to be. So yeah. what came first? Did you link up with a manager? Or? Yeah, a friend of mine, um, this is later down. I'm talking probably uh, August, July, July, August. A friend of mine linked me up with this guy. This is 07 still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who's meant to be a manager. He needed some stuff for his artists and we kind of linked up and hit it off. Um, and I thought, you know what? I've got a lot of things going on. You're based in London. He might be able to help me. You know what I'm saying? To kind of be on top of what's what what I've got going on because like I said, I don't really know. I don't know the business. Mm. On that level anyway. I could, I could show you how to hustle on a lower level the independent grind, when we're talking like labels and big radio stations and all that stuff, I have no experience. When you first met him, did you let him know about your situation with the big with Heartbroken or did you keep it low and then just try to build a relationship and then let him know about it? I think he was already aware um, of the buzz, so to speak, because I think my friend kind of told him how I had the city at the time. Mm. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, literally... I was, yeah, we was packing venues, man. We was doing stuff. So, you already knew, even when it comes to seeing me, seeing how I had my whole life set up and I was an independent guy, you know what I'm saying? It's not normal mm-hmm. for a teenage boy to be your own boss. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. he kind of knew that I was viable commercially. Then, the track was, it was, it was the biggest underground track in the country, hands down. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew the track. So, he knew the track. You know what I'm saying? So, naturally, he's going to hear the chatter. I was the label chatter. Like, everyone wanted to sign me at the time. Right. And then, so what What exactly, what did he bring to the table? And did he help you take it to where you needed to take it? Um, yeah and no. Because, obviously, in retrospect, I see what could have been done better. But at the same time, he knew more about the business than I did. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which kind of left me open to be taken advantage right. of at the same time. But he knew what to say to these people. I didn't know anything to say to you. I didn't even know what to ask for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To be honest, you just be happy at that time because it was the notion that you can't be independent. Radio won't play your shit if you're not signed to a major record label. So you're like, I'm just happy to be signed to a major record label. Putting this stuff out and, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Even though I didn't need to sign to anyone. Mm. At all. Looking back. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't need to. I was so hot at the point, I could probably just bartered with the actual directors to just do uh, commission-based work or some something along the lines. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I could have pulled a lot of favours to get everything done. You know what I'm saying? I could have pulled favours with radio teams because it's not as expensive as in America to do a radio campaign. You said it's not as expensive? Nah, nowhere. Mm. Yeah, no I remember way. you were telling me about that. Yeah. You said, uh, like, what, like, <sighs> less than half the cost? Like, no, nah, not even half the cost. But you're talking between two and five K. That's wow. everything spread it out. But it's a much here, smaller like market. Six figures, right? Like, yeah, it's a couple, couple hundred grand. Oh, oh shit. You said 200 K. Yeah. 2K, he said. No, Coach K said 200 K. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. saying 2K. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two, imagine, two, taking two 200, to imagine taking 200 bands out there and doing it. Yeah, you don't need that for no campaign. That's everything included. You don't need that. Back then, it was more expensive to put music out. Let's put it out there because you're talking about videos cost a lot. Mm. That's before red cam was like the thing. Yeah. So, so it might have been. We're shooting on film. Yeah. And all kinds of stuff. That, mm. It costs like 50, 100 grand to shoot a music video, right? Yeah, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. So it was different. Mm. That's the kind of thing that the bigger labels was bringing to the table. Mm. But even then, I reckon we could have still pulled favors. And it probably didn't need something so grand anyway. Mm. So, I got, okay, so I kind of thinking from like someone that's in your situation now, that someone in 2019 that's in a similar situation as you are, yeah. that you were back then. Mm -hmm. What would you, what would be your advice to them? Like, how would you tell them to go about doing this? What do they need to look at first before making any decisions? You have to know yourself. I think that's the most important thing. Know what responsibilities you're willing to take on and what comes with it. You're willing to take on. Yeah, because I think a lot of people like the idea of being independent, but when the responsibility comes, it's not like that. Right. Because I've done the independent campaigns and it's like, it's a bit overwhelming because when you take on, you got to pay everyone. Yeah? And when you've got a campaign going, they're all calling your phone non-stop, so you can't be in the studio because they're calling you non-stop. They keep calling you, keep calling you. Yeah, this is happening, this is happening. I just got this magazine. You need to go do this interview. And the radio guy's calling you. I'm about to go into the radio. I'm having a meeting about your single today and all this stuff. And you've got to manage everything and still right. be an artist. You know what I'm saying? So it's a bit too much. It's not for everyone. And dealing with the nose and dealing with a project that you might have put money into and it's not a success and dealing with the loss of the money. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. so it's just understanding that and just the younger me like a someone that's doing similar to what I, I, I've done years ago is just yeah just do as much research as possible know the game it's, mu it's much easier than ever you can literally go on YouTube and learn everything you need to know mm -hmm. but what you tend to see is that the videos that are informative got like 5,000 global views and right. stupid right. like YouTube videos that are informative, oh, 5,000 oh, yeah, global right, views right, right. and the bullshit's got like millions of views <laughs> right, and right, shit. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, so. We stay discussing that. The information's out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there for everyone. I went through a phase and I was just obsessed with getting the information after the fact. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And I learned so much. And what type of information were you looking up? Is it, were you like, All right, I'm gonna learn everything about publishing. I'm gonna learn everything about signing a deal. I think publishing was the first thing mm -hmm. that I tried to learn about simply because I didn't understand it and it bothered me. Mm. These, what are these people doing for me? You know what I mean? That's the question. Like, so, okay, you want, this, you want this much percentage of what I make, what you're doing to earn it. That way I could determine whether it's worth my time or not to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. 
And that's when I started to learn about publishing and the workings of it. That's when I discovered that, okay, cool. They'll promise you X, Y, and Z and actually they'll just collect your money. But you could do that your damn self. They're not shopping it. They're not... You could do that your damn self. You know what I'm saying? Through what? Collect your own money. Through admin deals or... Well, yeah, you could just be part of a collection rights uh, society. Like BMI, ASCAP? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or you can even do admin, so to speak. What's the point of your copyright being controlled by someone else if they ain't really bringing no value to the table? Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's something I needed to learn. I'm like, okay, sync. What's the workings of it? Some got sync people internally, but a lot of people work with agencies externally that you can do deals with direct. Mm, the like third party. Yeah. Mm. That was a big jammy job. I mean, that, yeah. was, that was one thing. You can do deals with sync agencies directly. Mm. Let, let me break that down. So you said, so one of the things these publishers, they're promising you like, yo, bring us your records, bring, let us control your copyrights. Yeah. We're going to get it on TV. We're going to get it on radio. Yeah, yeah and we're going to make you work with all the people you dreamt of working with. Meanwhile, all you got to do is go on the internet, search that. If you got a hit song, yeah. you make those calls. Oh, have yeah. your manager oh make God, those calls. Bro, that's, if you got a hit, that's, that's it. it's done. We ain't got to worry. Mm. It's done. It's a bit harder for you if you're not known and you're trying to get in with one of the big sync agencies. It's like, you feel me? Yeah. But if you really like got it going on and they can go look up your numbers, done. Now, but this is a little different though because you're in... You're not, you were the producer and the artist of this. True, yeah. True. I mean, that's another interesting thing I was explaining to him about is, is I just did it because I was trying to get on because I can't really work with artists, mm -hmm. big artists, make myself the fucking artist. So I already built my name as a producer. Mm -hmm. I already got a following. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I make myself the artist and let the artists that are not known feature on my stuff and propel it forward. Right. It's my way of just being able to quote unquote give myself a fucking placement if no one else will. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing how producers nowadays are turning into more of an artist than they are just a producer. Timberland so, started up. Mm. That's not new. Right. He's the one that I learned from. You know what I'm saying? Mm, he, he started that shit. Your beats are so hot you could bring out your own flipping artist shit. Although he was rapping, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Uh, we ain't going to do any of that stuff. We ain't going to sing neither. But <laughs> he started to brand himself as an artist and Pharrell did the same kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, no, go ahead. So if you're a young popping producer, right? Everybody wants your sound. You go and sign these deals with these sync companies. Mm -hmm. That's the, it. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Versus going to sign to a middleman that's going to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, if you don't need a middleman, cut him out. Mm. Once again, like I told you, it's also whatever deal you do, you have to be administrating that. What I mean by that is you're responsible for that. Right. So if you want to be independent and cut out the middleman, you got to do the middleman's work though. Right. Mm -hmm. Which means liaising with these people and being on top of them. And some artists naturally ain't got that in them. They ain't got the business that's right. left or brain the and right. Communication yeah, the desire. Yeah, it's, it's left and right brain. Let's not get it twisted. It's two different sides of the brain. There's a creative side of the brain and there's a business side of the brain, the logic. Oh, okay. So some people are just heavy on one side. So you got to know yourself. I'm just blessed to have a bit of both, which has helped me in the good parts. But sometimes it's almost a gift and a curse because one side might be overpowered the other too. Mm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you're a producer and you don't have the right dictation, right. Meaning you can't speak to these labels on the phone correctly 
would you just get a manager? Yeah, a manager could be a great thing for an artist. I mean, I'm just saying I had the best experiences on that front. Mm. That's just personal. But that could be a great thing because you actually got someone that believes in you. That's your business partner. So even if you're going to go independent, if you've got a great manager, that's all you need. Yeah. But that's, that's, someone all you that's, need? that's all you need, really, because he's overseeing the business of you. You know what I'm saying? And if, if he's got the ability to go and talk on your behalf or help you to get your message across, then that's great. Mm. But you got to make sure that they understand your vision and they want what's best for you because you might have a manager that is going to urge you to sign a certain deal because they're going to take that 10% off the top. I'm glad you brought that up. Which is a yeah, major thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the case 90% of the time. Everyone's trying to cash out on you. Yeah. I'm saying, so you're getting pushed to sign deals so they can cash out. Yeah. In their head, he might fire me tomorrow, so I'm cashing out. Mm. Even though, deep mm. down, if they were playing a long mm. game, you ain't meant to sign that deal right now. You don't even need to sign it. Mm. But, like, it up. but it's like, like you just said, one might be stronger than the other and you might not want to take on that responsibility. So no, you, you don't. So you may like, you may have to. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Being a businessman is, is not as glamorous as it looks. It really isn't. It's a lot of headache. And people just ain't got the balls for that shit. Mm. That's the honest and creative. People get a bit emotional at times. And they, got, they struggle to deal with the business aspect because it's not for the emotion, emotion, emotional people. No, that's really super isn't. true. Yeah. As creative people are a bit you know I mean, sensitive. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm that's probably not the most I mean, sensitive of people. But that's what allows for great music, though, is that it does. sensitivity. It, do, it does. But on the flip side, that's why you see people just doing crazy shit. Right. Or saying crazy shit online because they can't deal with the business. Right. Mm. You're expecting people to be your friend. They're not your fucking friends, bruv. You understand? Mm. But because naturally you're a creative person, that's, you function from emotion. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So some, that's why people struggle a lot to cope with the business because it's business. It wasn't business when you wasn't getting paid. The minute you start to get paid, it's business. And you have to be prepared mentally to deal with that. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, going back, because um, I want to touch on one more thing uh, as far as the pub deals. Right. I know you said that, um, you know, they, they got empty promises of, of well, I mean, not, not so. They... they they, they Some made, of them do do great. I've heard people singing praise about their publishers. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. But a lot of publishers, are, they're bullshit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and in your situation, one of their big selling points was sync, which you could do on your own. And right. then another thing, uh, I've heard a lot of producers talk about the empty promises of give us your wish list. Who yeah, do you, yeah. Who do you want to work with? I got asked that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely got asked that by the head of the publishing company. Like, who would you like? Give me a wish list. You know what I mean? And the guy's telling you his CV. Because like, a lot of people claim a lot of shit too that they didn't do. Just because you signed me and I'm red hot, don't take credit for my success. You just gave me a check, my bro. Mm. Mm. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. So people just claim everything. So you're getting, oh, this is what I've done. I've signed this person, got this person, got that person, got that person. And whoever you want to work with, you can work with. You're like, shit, where do I sign? Right, right. It ain't even about the money. Because I says I came in a business, I didn't need money from anyone. Mm. I was doing fine. So it wasn't even about the money. It was more about the dream. So it's like, can you make the dream come true? Let's do it. You know what I'm mm. saying? So every producer is kind of like, you know, at risk of that happening to them. Yeah, oh, you want, yeah, you want, you want us to get Drake on your beat? You want us to get, you know what I mean? You ain't going to get Drake on your beat unless if Drake fucks with you, bro. It's as simple as that. 
Mm. Uh, he ain't listening to no one. Mm. I can tell you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> He's not. You can't force. No. Can't force that. Mm-mm. And that's that. That was one thing that when we when we were the other night, you were saying that was one of the things that stuck out to me. I was like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, just because you're signed to the same publisher as me, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. What's your vibe like type shit? You know what I mean? I was in that position where, you know what I mean? They'll bring stuff to me when I did sign my publishing. I'm like, no, I don't like that. There's nothing you could do about it. Mm. I'm not my slave masters. I'll do what I want. You know what I mean? And it goes for any songwriter you'd like to work with as a producer. They have to just naturally take to your stuff. You know what I mean? Which means you can do that outside of being signed to someone else. Don't get me wrong. You might get one and two publishers that's got pull with people because they've got great relationships. Right. So they'll be able to be, hey, just check out my people. Yeah. And they'll get checked out. But for yeah. the most part, they have to like your music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Nothing's promised, right? Yeah. Not nothing. Mm. So, so overall, though, so you signed your record deal, you signed your pub deal. Were you happy? Was 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 it all the way bad? Um. I think, in, in retrospect, to be honest with you, the record side was great. To be honest with you, I'm still cool with the people. I actually partner with them now, now and then to do releases, and we do great business together. So I got nothing bad to say about them because the deal I signed was fucking at the time for that time standard because that was the uh, slump for the music business. Okay, that's before we went from analog to digital. That was the time oh. between '05 and '08. That was the time. This is when mm. Napster's huge and yeah, Napster's LimeWire and apart, Frost, you know what I mean. Wire. You know, yeah. at the time, certain people was actually accepting defeat. The label was accepting defeat to the internet, and you know what I mean. And iTunes kind of came and changed the game. Mm. So that was the slump. So the advances was low on most singles, especially that type of music. But that could be a good thing, though—a low advance. Yeah, I guess so. But. You know, it wasn't the best, best, best time for uh in the business, so to speak. So, what out the terms and the kind of other things I was meant try, oh, I got okay. out of the deal okay. was great for the time. Mm. Don't get me wrong, now the game's crazy now. Mm. <laughs> I wish I was dropping now, mm. like I was back in the day, because these kids got it. It's crazy. Yeah, let's talk about that because I really like the way you broke down um, how much money is earned on a million streams. Yeah, and uh, the just walk us through that. And one of the main things I want you to talk about is is the publishing side of the streams. Yeah, well, we could start on the, how much money is getting generated with the streams, which I think people need to do their research. But I guess like uh, the numbers get so sketchy, but there's always usually like round figures per million streams. You know what I mean? In the UK, we're talking four and a half K. From Spotify, around about 10. Like Apple Music. Almost double. Yeah, it's double, but Apple Music significantly um, got significantly lower uh, subscribers. Yeah, they got so. like one fourth subscribers. As yeah, Spotify. yeah, yeah. But it just adds up. You know what I'm saying? So it's just understanding that and understanding um, how mechanical rights work within um, the streaming game. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Mechanical rights. Basically, what the streaming has become has become two things, which is it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but it makes sense. It's seen as might as well say seen as technically airplay and sales at the same time. Thanks. You know what I'm saying? Which is a new concept. Never yeah, it's seen as, perf- what, what was it saying? It's seen as performance mm-hmm. and actually um, sales too. Yeah. So 
they'd get mechanicals off the actual streams, which is a form of publishing. Mechanicals, they get mechanicals off the streams. And I think for the 100% publishing, it's around about 1,500 um, per million in the UK. I don't know how it works over here. Are we talking Spotify? I think that's Spotify. Don't quote me on it. I know someone's going to be in the comments saying, nah, it might be, it might be something else, but it's roundabouts. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so that's what goes to the writer and the producer. And 1,500 work. split. <coughs> 1,500 each. Nah, 1,500 split. That's the pot. Mm-hmm. So you might have 10 people that's worked on the track. That should get divided up between them. But you also got the performance streams. side of it as well. That's, that's performance and mechanicals. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's the pot. So, but it adds up. You've got people doing a billion streams, so you do the math. You know what I'm saying? Um, then obviously you've got the, um, the record side, like I was saying, which is four and a half K, roundabout, Spotify, about 10 at Apple Music. So, yeah, so off 100 million streams, that's about $150,000, right? Uh, or no, no? It will be 200, no. I think, because that's UK pounds we're talking about. So 200,000 US dollars is, yeah. is taken off the top, goes to the publishing pot off of 100 million streams. Yeah. And then if there's one producer, he's getting 100,000 of that. I guess so, if he yeah. owns, If he owns the, all the, the produ- production. He owns half the publishing, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then even, so even if there's 10 songwriters and one producer, those 10 songwriters, they split one of the $100 pots. Yeah. And then the producer, or if it's two producers, they're splitting that other 100. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the times when you get something that streams as much, a publisher got their hands in it because they'll get to the producer. They'll try giving some money that'll get him out of his mother's house, right, <laughs> get him right. some new equipment. They're in on it. Before, one thing about publishers, they, they don't play. Anything catches a bit of heat, they're signing up. Because the early they can get there, the cheaper it is for them to sign. So right, right. They get, they're getting there quick. So from a publisher standpoint, right, basically all they're trying to do is buy the cash flow of a record. So I'm gonna, if this song is generating $100,000 a year off of $100 yeah. million, then mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, from a publisher standpoint, all right, well, we're just going to give them $3 million and we're just basically paying for this cash flow for the rest of the, for the next 10, yeah, 20 it's, years. Yeah, it's, it's literally just, they're, they're in an uh, intellectual property business. It's just like real estate. Yeah. It's just, you don't, can't touch it's it. It's intellectual property. Right. It's property. Mm. It's your property. It's your mm. choice to sell it or not. And it's earning licensing money, basically. Yeah. That's rent. Like I was explaining right. to uh, Dylan that I own all my rights. I own everything. Right. And whoever's got a say in whatever I've got going on, they've got a license. They're tenants. It's like real estate. They're just tenants. Right. They can't even go around like letting their nuts drag because they don't own the shit. I do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's important for people to learn how to just own. You got to own your shit, bro. Because right. that's really where the money's at. If you if you're if if you have the business mentality, if you don't, you might not be. Yeah, but even if you don't, even if I give you my flipping copyright to control mm-hmm. for about 15 years and you give me 10% and that's a, that's a bad deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's bad. Yeah. But at the end, I still own that shit. It's better than you, do you know what I mean? Buying giving it out, me, right? Yeah, like, you have to own your stuff. So you don't see any benefit signing a publishing deal anywhere? It depends. Remember, no deal is a bad deal. It's what you negotiate. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like we just discussed, it's just like somebody's buying your property. So it, it depends what you what what's the plan of action, what's in the terms, yeah. Because I might not sell you my publishing, I might just give you a license to control the copyright. 
for X amount of years. For X amount of percent. So you might come to me with $5 million to own my publishing, right? And I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to give you way less percentage. I don't want 5 million. Give me 250 grand. And we'll do the deal. And you ain't going to own my shit. You ain't going to turn it down because I work right. the deal around. Wait, I work the deal so different. You, and you're going to recoup. Do it, say that again? Basically, it's all in what you negotiate. Right. Use it as a house because when you use the house analogy, it makes sense to me. Right. It's like, for example, yeah. someone's coming saying that they want to buy your house. Right. You'd be like, I'm not for five million. Mm -hmm. Right. You'd be like, nah, like, I'm not selling you my house. No, but I really want to live there. Mm. I really want to live in this house. I love this house. Let me, you know what I'm saying? Like, nah, like, you're not buying my house. I'll tell you what you can do. You can do what's called a leasehold, which they do a lot in apartments because no one owns a freehold in apartments. No one owns the land they're sitting on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You could do a leasehold off me for about 12 years, 15 years, but I'm going to need 250. But you can't own my house. And how much percent are they taking? How much are you taking? That's all negotiable. But okay, so give us a give us a ballpark. Yeah, it would be like, all right, cool. Like you can have the leasehold, but I'm giving you thirty percent. So they're gonna collect. So you it. get thirty percent on the revenue. So you, you're mm. free of as part of your leasehold. You're free to sublet the property to whoever else you want to oh. sublet the property to. Right. Which is obviously them controlling the copyright, and they can do whatever they do, the licensing oh, to whoever okay. else. Mm. In that time Sinks period, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, in that time period, which is the sublet, right? But after that, you have to run it all back, renegotiate. So, so at the end of the day, your job would just be if you know you're gonna make, if you know your music gonna make a certain amount of money, right? You need them, you need to get the company down to a percentage to where you know you're gonna recoup that, and you know that it's not gonna be a situation where you're just letting them eat up, eat up all your money. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of big advances anyway. Nothing's more annoying than the senior shit doing numbers and you're not making no money off it because you took the money in advance. Right. Mm -hmm. So let me let me break it break this down. So someone's like, I'll give you five hundred million. I'm gonna own this. Mm -hmm. No, I'm I'm sorry, five million. I'm gonna own this song. You're never gonna see a royalty check in your life for that song because you don't own it no more. You're selling mm -hmm. it. Like, yo, you collect all the royalties. No, don't get me wrong, you see royalties. No, no, no. I'm saying if you if you were to sell the copyright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't see no royalties. You would still have your publishing, which is different. Well, it all depends on what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Are we talking about the publishing pot right now? Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. we're talking about the publishing pot. So you're still going to get your royalties on the record side if you own... The points on the yeah, master. Yeah, or if you own the master or whatever you leverage with the record label, right? Right. So someone's like, yo, I want to buy the publishing for that song. I'll give you $5 million. You're like, no. Let's do it like this. Just give me $250,000 and you own 30% of that for 12 years. Yeah. I'm still getting 70% of my royalties mm. every quarter. Every time they cut a check, I'm getting 70%. Yeah. And they're taking the 30%. So that's how they're earning that 250 And you took back. the advance. Yeah, now, why? Advance. You yeah. take that advance and, and invest, into, invest into your image and invest into... But why? You know, whatever you want. Why would Lifestyle? you want to give up the 30% for 250k? For that's what I'm trying to figure out. But a little uh, If you don't need the... Let's say I'm in a position it, where I don't need uh, 250,000. I'm good. It, why would I give up the 30% unless I'm going to use it to go do something else? Well, a lot of the times that's the problem you see because these kids ain't got nothing to do with the money besides buy chains and fuck hoes. <laughs> so it's a bit like... Right, but if you're past that, let's say you're past Most people that. aren't you, though. Most people are like, yo, bro, yeah. I got $10 in my bank account. You mean to tell me you're going to wire me 250 Exactly. <laughs> if I sign this piece of paper? A lot, of, the guys, my dreams, yeah. a lot of young producers, they, they, uh, they're at home, bro. They want to leave home. 
and they got an opportunity to leave home. But they can leave home when the cash flow comes in. Like when they get that month, it may not goal, be two hundred fifty thousand, but yeah. maybe it's like ten thousand a yeah. month. Or unfortunately, you you're, you're thinking more, a bit more one percentage. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. I don't know, bro. That the just normal, the normal producer. Yeah. That's why we're trying to elevate the community. Yeah, yeah the no, dropping yeah. this knowledge on them. Y'all the be long, careful the of these advances, game, bro. The long it's game is everything. I think that's the what me and Dylan was talking about. People underestimate the long game. Like Bill Gates said, uh, people overestimate what they can do in one year, underestimate what they can do in ten. Long, mm. That's big. I'm at, a, I'm at a point now in my career where I've got long game benefits. Right. Mm. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I can see that shit like, okay. I made a lot of mistakes in my career, but what I did do, right, benefited me so much now. Yeah. And that's what these kids don't think about 15 years down the line. Yeah, let's I mean, give... my first hit record was 12 years ago. I'm good off that. I was going to say, let's give them a little background. You know Your hit record came out in 07. Yeah. Didn't hit Spotify and Apple Music until 2016. No, 2017. Sorry. 2017. Ten yeah, years. 2017. Yeah. So 10 years later, the song is still big enough. He puts it on Spotify, Apple yeah. Music. He's got over 26 million plays just since 2017. Right. Owns the rights, and he has other projects and stuff. So it's right. like cash flow. Yeah. Now imagine if you would have gave it up way back then, how sick you would be seeing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Here's the thing, though. It could have happened. Mm. If there's anything, listen, I made a lot of mistakes in my career. Right. A lot. I've lost a lot of money. Right. From my mistakes. That's one thing I did by accident that's worked out for me. Damn, you accidentally kept ownership. That's, oh, shit. <laughs> that's the greatest ownership. Yeah, because, you know, if they could have put anything in that fucking paperwork, I would have signed that shit. Damn. damn. No, you didn't really have a lawyer and stuff like that? He was the lawyer that the management had. Oh, yeah. damn. I remember you said that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, I didn't know any better. But the thing they did do, I have to talk about my deal, talking about a few terms of the deal. The record label had seven year, a seven-year license, which is seven-year control over the copyright. And uh, obviously, yeah, the master was retain, retained. So that was great because after seven years, the track comes back. Whoever's got the master copyright. Full ownership. Yeah. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I went back and just renegotiated, really. A fucking amazing deal. <laughs> mm. You know what I'm saying? But, you know... And they have to come see me again in a couple of years. And we have to renegotiate again. So I don't mind them distributing my music and that. It's cool. Mm. I have no problem in doing that. So, yeah, like, if the, the long game is, is much more viable than the short game. It depends who you are. There's a lot of people that are flushings in the pan. So, oh, what? They, they just like, they just kind of come and leave. Mm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? One hit wonders. Yeah. On yeah. You can have one hit and live forever, though. Right. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Old Town Road. Yeah, I'm not saying that's the only hit they'll have, but they could live forever off that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not the first, neither. You got Sir Mix a lot. And all. Mm. I mean, people like that. He made the tune in 1992, but he probably makes millions every year till this day. You know what I'm saying? So, so I got a question. <laughs> no. Um, once you got past that stage of like, Okay, I feel like there's different levels to get into like a different mentality. Right. So back then, you said you made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of those mistakes came from just being young, wanting to party. But then there's a, yeah. once you get past that, there's another level of mistakes you got to get through. Right. What, what is that next level of like, okay, I don't care about going to the club, buying chains and everything. But what are the mistakes you made after that? And what was it a re like, what was the reason why those mistakes were made? 
Um, Were they just like a lack of knowledge, a lack of research mistakes, or is it like a lack of patience and a lack of sticking things out? Hmm. That's the mistakes I made later because I came in the game as a spoiled brat because shit just happened so quick. Hmm. And because I've got the ability like, to get things going so quick, I was actually speaking about this last night. I'm just used to shit just happening quick because I could just get started mm-hmm. and it'll pop quick. Do you know what I'm saying? So I was not quite used to no's. So I came in the game, everything was just yes. My first encounter at record labels was yes. The mm. first time I spoke to them, they wanted to speak to me. Mm. The first time I got to radio, they wanted to play my shit without me asking them to. Mm. And when that changes, that's a lot. That's something you got to kind of learn. You know kind of build up an ego a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it's ego. Just like it'd be like like a spoiled child. Mm. You, you, know got your, you got your feelings about it, like yeah. they told you no. You, you kind of you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it is. I tell you something. It's the right yeah. side of the brain trying to kick in. <laughs> it was more to do with how fake the music business was. Mm. Um. Mm. That was a lot to deal with because my first encounter with him, with, with the business, no one told me that it's fake. So I'm being genuine. You know what I'm saying? What you see is what you get. In mm. all these people on your dicks, like, yo, this is sick. Like, what's happening? You've got all these relationships and all of a sudden, like, people start moving a bit fake. You know what I'm saying? So that was a lot to deal with because I was like, I don't understand. that. I thought that people was um 100. So that was a lot to deal with. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So that's probably another mistake I made with just like not understanding that it's business. It's something mm. I've had to learn. Yeah. Can you even learn that or do you just have to experience it? Because you can tell somebody not everybody's your friend. Mm-hmm. But when everything is good between me and Joe Schmo, it's like, bro, what do you mean? Like, we just yeah. do business together. We make money together. How yeah. could he not be my friend? Do you yeah. just have to experience it or can you learn yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could probably learn certain things to have the eye for the bullshit or eye for bullshit people. Right. Yeah. I, I could spot them from a mile away. You know what I'm saying? Mm. He's real. Because mm. I I met a few people that, you know what I'm saying? What do you call it? Oh, a cat. Cat. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's cat. Yeah. You could just tell. Like, just, all right, bro. Cool. Mm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, but that comes from experience. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That which takes is, a while to develop that. Yeah, major. which is quite tough for some people, like producers that are coming into the business mm. and they're the only person around them that's even interested in the business. Mm. So there's no one that's going to give you the game. You you're just out there for the sharks to just eat you up. Damn. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You're an 18, 19 year old impressionable kid. You just want to get on. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Which is the sad part because. Everyone in this business gets taken advantage of in the beginning. Right. It's just part of the game. Or you could just wait to get on. I, I would just give some... Like ev- 25, 26, a little more season, a little more experience. No one's trying to wait, tell someone that, though, right? Yeah, I, no one's trying to I would wait. just say build, saying, build relationships, man, Don't make bro. these beats, man. Don't send no, those I'm saying emails. Make those beats. Do everything. Get super perfect. Don't send the emails to your 25? Hell I'm not saying nah. don't send your emails to your 25, nah. but once you reach a point where you know, like, okay, I'm mature enough. I know what you're enter- saying, because I, I I do feel like a part of me that I wish that I dropped when I was older, but the flip side is I would have been in jail. <laughs> Life would have mm. just gotten away. Right. It, that was my way out. I needed that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So if that's the price, that's the tax. you got to pay a tax on everything in life. Right. Mm. If that's the tax I've got to pay, so be it. 
anything for my freedom or anything for me to just be alive or just be safe. You know what I'm saying? So. Must have been a real street build. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, ain't even that. Ain't even that. Listen. Well, street I'm, you had on the, get on the I'm, not, I'm not out here trying to give it all of that stuff. It's not that time. Leave that right. for the rappers. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, you know, I'm just normal, law-abiding citizen, but I just grew up in an environment where you had to go get it. certain things just happen and that's the only way we know how to get by. Right. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of good people in that environment. There's bad people in that environment. There's good people, but in anything in life, there's good and bad people. I was one of the good people in that environment. I'm a good kid. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? But I just had experience yeah. in living life a bit different, you know? Yeah. Mm. And so talk to me, man. So, one thing I picked up from you is you really diversified. You're not just relying on music. You know, you you put some of that money into real estate. Yeah. Is that important? Of course, because it's going to come a day when no one's trying to give you money. So you have to understand that because the problem is everyone gets caught up in the now. You're lit right now. You know what I'm saying? But what about tomorrow? What about five years from now? Right. You know what I'm saying? And whatever you've got money off right now is the work you've done to get the money. What if, God forbid, something happens to you and you can't work no more? Right. You're making no more money. Like, I'm setting up things in a way where I don't have to work. I don't have to do nothing. So it's coming in. You know what I mean? Then that's the key to just people in the game to kind of learn that. Passive income is everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather take $2,000 a month or $4,000 a month than a million dollars in one lump sum payment, but $4,000 for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. So so let's put it in today's perspective, man. So talk talk to the young guy who's uh, 19, 20 years old. Right. Maybe he does sign a good pub deal. He takes like a $200,000 advance. Mm-hmm. If that was you, how much are you putting in the real estate? What do you, How are you spending that money? I put, I'll put a lot of that into real estate. I don't want no cash around. You know what I'm saying? What's, what use is cash? If you just got cash, what are you going to do with the cash? You're going to spend it. Exactly. So you need to, the key is cash around you is a liability. Mm. You know what I mean? Damn, That's how you got to view it. Yeah. How you, having cash around you is a liability. You leverage the credit system. I'll give you an example. If you take the 200K, fuck mm. it, put about 80% of that in real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Then for but you probably might put it into a moving real estate vehicle. What I mean by that, something that's immediately going to start paying out. For example, we've got certain developments you might buy into in England where there's a guaranteed yield and there might even be tenants in that motherfucker. So you can just go in there and really start making money off it immediately. Turnkey, basically. Yeah. Damn. So you put the whole 200K in there, you got your monthly cash flow out of that. Even if you have to wait for six weeks, um, before you start making money out of it, you put the whole 200K, use your credit cards to kind of get by because that money is going to get paid back anyway. And now you mm. got guaranteed money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this man took 200K, put it in this system, sat back, yeah. wait, and now I'm set. You know what it's like when you play Call of Duty and you pack a punch a gun? Hmm. Y'all remember that? Hmm. Pack a punch? No, I've right? never played Call Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know I, what yeah. I'm talking you about. You played it? You basically take a regular gun and then you put it in this machine. It costs $5,000, but when you get it back, it's shooting lasers, it's shooting all kinds of stuff. And now you got it for the rest of the game. Facts. Bro, 
Yeah, that's what All the is. young dudes, that was for you. Because it's like, now you can live off that, whatever it is. So if you put 200, you're going to probably be making like 5,000, 10,000 a month off of... Oh, we'll give you a real estate example. Let's just, put, just give you a real estate example, right? <laughs> like, forget all the Call of Duty. In north of England, we have uh, cheap, cheaper properties than down south. Down south is where London is. So that's like the metropolitan. It's expensive. So you can get properties in the north of England for about 60,000, 50,000, right? Let's say 50,000, right? If you get a mortgage in that property, they're going to want 20% because it's a buy-to-let mortgage, right? So 10 grand down. 10 grand down. Legal fees, 2K, right? That's everything, all in all, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the rent will still be 450 a month, right? And the mortgage will probably be about 200 a month. So you're making 250 on your 10K per month. Now, add that up over X amount of years, four to five years, you literally probably uh, paid for the whole property and still making money. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So even if you put the whole 50K in there and just got collected your money and you're still making 500 a month. But I've just showed you guys how to actually leverage. Instead of putting the whole 50K, you leverage. So you with that saying? 200K, you could grab... Almost 20 of those yeah, hella, yeah, exactly. Just, you're just putting hella 20% down, 20% down, 20% down. But you, and, and, and every joint you put in your 12K on, you're making 250 a month. So multiply that by 20, now you're, that's five grand a month. Cash Forever. flow. Cash flow. Whatever. And then... And you got yeah. equity. Right. So once those houses are paid off, you got, you got your money back. It's just and equity. And equity. But remember, you only have 12K to recoup on yourself. Right, right. That, you're going to make that... If, do the math, 250, that's a couple, couple like of years. Four years. Yeah. Something like four years. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you're just taking $12,000 to buy, uh, just buy something for the rest of the life, a small number that's going to come in for yeah, the rest you, of your Yeah, but remember, you got you got ROI every month. You got a return on investment yeah. every month. And that's money you can fuck up. It's not like you fuck up that, yeah. that music money that's like, okay, that, that faucet's going to turn that's off. That's gone, it ain't coming mm -hmm. back. You're fucking up a faucet that's never turned off. <laughs> yeah. So even if it takes you five years to realize, like, man, I've been fucking up. It's like, all right, shit, let, yeah. me, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me figure right. it out now. Pretty much. Still coming in no yeah. matter what. And there's a different level of confidence when you've got cash flow money and how you spend your money too. That ties back to you talking about people are too desperate. Yeah. They get vulnerable mm -hmm. to these bad deals. Yeah, yeah, of course. Especially right. in America. Oh, my God, man. I've heard that like, horror story. It's just sad. Yeah. It's not as bad in the UK, but over here, it's like... Disrespectful. It's crazy. But I think that's because you said, oh, over here, there's a way bigger market, and that leaves way more room for people to be in your pocket and get fucked over, versus in the UK, it's a smaller market, but people are more on their shit. Yeah, we spoke about that. Like I was, I was talking to him on Saturday, like, look, you can get someone that's got a bad deal, but there's about two million on the table which is the pot, and they might be walking away with about 20% of that, which is 400K, and they're broke. So the deal don't look as bad if you're broke. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you're still up 400K. And so technically, you got enough dough for your image, <clears throat> for your diamonds and whatnot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so that's what it is. But it's about understanding the business and what you potentially can make then you start structuring your stuff in a way where you can actually make the full amount that you meant that you can make. But in the UK, you said the pot might only be half a million. Mm -hmm. So that's why if you walk away with 20%, no one's going to take that. 
Yeah, but a lot of people got, I'll just keep it real, man. A lot of artists, so to speak, got just over 20% on their deals. That's what they make. But in the UK, they give big advances out too, so that's what's enticing in them, the, the artists. But yeah. yeah, a lot of people get that kind of royalty rate. Publishing deals, yeah, anywhere from 60 to 70%. You know what I'm saying? So it just depends. But a lot of people don't know what they want. So, you, you, like I said, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. You have to know what you want mm. to know what to negotiate. You know what I'm saying? Usually people just want the bag. So that's, they understand that. They understand the figure. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to give me a million. I understand a million. I want a million off you. But so, it's the people don't understand the terms mm -hmm. and the conditions and stipulations. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Nobody's just giving you a million. Nobody's just giving you a quarter. Right, right, right. They're giving you your own money, man. Sheesh. Mm. <laughs> Right. You think that, you know what I'm saying? Like, what did Master P say? If they, will, these people don't know me, they're willing to, think about it for a second. <laughs> if people that don't know you are willing to give you a million, how much are you really worth? They're strangers. Mm. Mm. That's, that. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you've been on your grind, those are people that weren't keeping up with your grind prior. You've done something. And they're trying to give you an M. Like, how much are you really worth? Right. Mm. They got a good idea of it. You better have a good idea of yeah, it. Yeah, you'd be surprised how much music actually generates. You know what I mean? When I came to your event the other day. Um, <coughs> town Hall. Yeah, Town Hall. And I was hearing the confusion about streaming and, and how people are looking at it like it's less money. They're crazy, bro. There's more money than ever. And it's crazy. Mm. And when I mean more than ever, it's more than ever. And it's less legwork. To make a million, you ain't got to run around distributing hella CDs to make a million. You can make it from the comfort of your home. So you have to know where the money is. Who's got the money? Mm. And if you're doing numbers and you're making no money off your shit, someone's taking your money. Mm. Mm. I'm saying. So let's, um, let's talk about 2019-2020 uh, T2, man. Mm -hmm. uh, first time in America. Yeah. You got your vision board set, man. Tell us what's what's the future hold. Um, I'm just switching up the sound a bit now. Back to my original love. I just think I'm in a position where uh, I'm blessed to be able to just go for what I want to do, rather than what's convenient music-wise to keep me going. Because I don't need anything music-wise to keep me going immediately. Mm. I'm straight, so it's more about what do I love, what do I enjoy, what do I listen to in my car. That's why I came here. I'm like, I want to start working with the artists that I listen to in my car. I'm going to start making the music that I really am the most passionate about, which is hip-hop music. So that's why I flew out here. I've been collaborating with quite a lot of producers, meet, meeting up with people, met up with obviously you guys now. And yeah, just 2020 is looking good, man. I'm going to put some numbers on the board over here. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not playing games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I'm determined, trust me, it happens. Okay. Why, uh, why, why was Atlanta the first stop? Why not L.A.? I wanted to go to LA and I've been talking about LA for the longest amount of time. If you're my friend or family, you'd know. But it's like something just came over me to just come here. And, you know, I'm in touch with my inner self. That's a whole different conversation. But I'm in touch with my higher self. My third eye is open. So I listen to the voice. It's not as subtle. It's quite loud within me. So I'm like, you know what? Let's go to Atlanta. And that's the best move I've ever done. Mm. You know what I'm saying? 
LA obviously is on the cards, but I think coming here was the right thing to do. Remember, here is the mecca of hip hop right now, mm-hmm. and it's been for a hot minute. So you have to go to, you know what I'm saying? You have to right. come to where it's at. Everything's following what's going on here. I had to come and experience and go to certain spots, even spots that tourists don't go. I had to go to Zone Six mm. because I've been listening to Gucci and all <laughs> these people for so long. I feel you. I needed to just be in that environment. I wouldn't advise it. (laughs) You've got to know the right people. But I had to. Because it gives you a whole different feeling. It's in the air, man. The vibe's in the air. Even the the beats I've made here, they're different to the beats I was making back home. It's different when you're watching the TV, but when you're beyond the screen, it's different. On the ground. Being to flat, you know what I mean? I drove through Flatshaw, being to Kirkwood, you know what I'm saying? I drove through Bodacrest. It's different. You're meeting with local people, you're yeah. having conversations, and like uh, you get the feel of it. Do you know what I'm saying? You're meeting upcoming local artists, you're getting a total feel of the culture. But your approach, music wise, is totally different. The 2020 year, like, it's, yeah, it's looking good. You know what I'm saying? I think I happen to be blessed. I think me and Dylan was talking about the law of attraction. Like, I literally just attracted a whole bunch of shit because. I weren't able to even get the things I've been able to do done if I didn't believe in the law of attraction, if I didn't come on a mission like that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I've been able to kind of cover a lot of ground since I've been here. Because you, you said you came out here with no connections. No. I'll put it on my Instagram as well just to kind of, once again, my belief in the law of attraction, just to be an example to inspire other people and make people understand the universal law and how they can use it for their advantage in life. I came here with no connection. You guys are interviewing me now. And that's the biggest producer platform. Right. You know what I'm saying? And everybody asked for an interview. There you go. And that's just me. I put it out there. I said, I'm going to do it. Um, That's one of the things. And even when I landed, two hours after landing, I ended up submitting beats for one of my all-time favorite rappers. I can't really talk about it because I don't want to talk about something that don't come out. Basically, I've worked on a few of my favorite rappers' stuff since I've been here. Right. The big, big, big boys. And I came with no connections. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But I built up so many connections in about three, four weeks. So that's when you're just working with universal energy, really. Like, anything's possible. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What are, some, what are some things that stuck out, the culture here versus the culture back home? Uh, you know what? There ain't that much difference. That's the main thing. Really isn't. Just accents and stuff. But it ain't it ain't that much different. That's surprising. Yeah. One thing I will say though, people are polite here. Mm. What my friend said, here's what my friend said. He said, everyone's strapped here, so there's no point in having a bad attitude unless you're really <laughs> trying to get into it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right, I, like, it made right. sense. Right. You're back home, like. Yeah, but no, you might get the wrong type of character that will do you, that will harm you. Over here, you cannot be road raging, people. Yeah, you might get shot. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> everyone's polite. Excuse me. And I've seen the most gangster looking brothers telling me, excuse I'm like, oh, like <laughs> in the UK, like, man's screwing you up and down, he's giving you a screw face. Like, <laughs> people ain't got no manners. People over here got manners. That's, that's the first thing that I noticed. It might be just an Atlanta thing. It might not be elsewhere. I'm not mm. sure. Yeah, we, we got manners. Yeah. We, we got manners down here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not for real. Mm. 
So it's a thing I, I really like that people are nice, man. People are so much nicer. I got a question. So for most of our guys, people watching this podcast, they're not getting record deals. They don't have people knocking at their door asking mm-hmm. to sign them. They might work a regular job, a good paying job, or just a normal job. Yeah. They might have a couple grand saved up, 2000 3000 10000 5000 What would you tell them to do with it so they can start building this passive income? Couple of grand. Two to ten. Well, 10, it depends. Over here, even America's got cheap properties too. That's another thing me and Dylan oh, was yeah. talking about how one of the properties that I got around me, I could buy a five and a half thousand square foot spot here and it's a tiny little spot. You said like so, what, 500 square feet or something? Yeah. <laughs> but over here, I could buy five and a half thousand square feet of the same value. So 10 times. Right. If you want to downsize and you start a small property, I'd like to believe that over here you can get something. Mm-hmm. There's markets here that are quite cheap. You can get started. I would actually advise you, instead of you going to invest straight away, invest in your education about real estate. Mm. I'll spend a mm. lot of money doing that. Do you know what I'm saying? Go on a course. You know what I mean? With someone that's reputable, learn how to actually do the deals and how you can get things done. Yeah, because there's a lot of courses, man, because I've, you know, I've, I I've haven't gone crazy, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's courses where they teach you how to, like, leverage other people's money, get investors to invest you in you. telling your... me about something. Yeah. Some of the things that don't apply back home, so we need to talk off camera anyway. Because <laughs> I'm trying to get my feet wet over here. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things you can do. Take, take Learn first, because you've mm. got to know what you're doing. It's like you can't just jump in the whip and drive. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You can buy the whip, but you're going to crash. Right. Yeah, you need to learn first about the game. The, the you know, I read books, so the the old book to read, which everyone needs to, it's a write a passage. It's a rich dad, poor dad. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. And I think For everyone sure. in the business needs to know because I've seen a lot of people that clearly don't understand the difference between liabilities and assets. <laughs> in the music <laughs> business, diamond chain is an asset, bro. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. Now, if you're a certain kind of rapper. The diamond chain is an asset simply because you invested in your image. It's marketing. It's a yeah, marketing budget. Right, right, we, we talk right. about that. Mm-hmm. But it's within reason. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get to a point where you didn't need to buy that extra 200 grand chain because you looked the part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nipsey Hussle done that well because I, I, I kind of spotted what he was doing. You would only buy Cubans with no stones in them. It's just all gold. Right. You're just buying gold. Right. right. When it comes down to it, you could just get rid of it. Right, right. It melted down. He's just buying gold. And you realize he never had more than those three chains that he had. He's been rocking those same he, ones. But they're all gold. And they right? don't lose value. Yeah, right. they're all gold. Because once you start putting diamonds into things, once you start busting down watches, and I'm being guilty of that now. I've been doing them kind of things for years. That's why I don't do that anymore. I've had bust downs and bust downs is not a thing. It's like, once you put stones in a Rolex, you've killed that Rolex. Rolex mm. don't even want to fix that. Mm. If anything goes wrong with it. They won't even acknowledge that Rolex, so it's, it's dead. Once you put certain stones, coloured stones into whatever you got going on, coloured diamonds, they're bullshit. You know what I'm trying to say? Especially with how trendy it is, the, the watch that you invest in might not even be. No, it might not even be in style. In five here's years. here's another kicker: a gold Rolex ain't the best Rolex to buy from an investment standpoint. Mm. The stainless mm. steel one is. Wow. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. So people, when they get technical, put us on game. Why is that? Because gold fluctuates. That's number one. So you get caught up in the gold cycle. I'm saying when it's staying still, it's more stable. It's not dictated by the gold price at the time. 
right now, it's not the worst to have simply because of the growth trajectory with the gold and the economy. So when the economy is down, people hedge against the economy with gold. So the gold price goes up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So naturally, but I wouldn't advise that. The best ones is the stone and steel. That's, they go up in value and they stay more steady with what they do. Man's an investor at heart, man. Right. Mm. <laughs> so it's the economy. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I've had to learn retroactively all this shit, man. Yeah. Because I, I don't like to not know. Cause you yeah. feel like you're getting played. Right. I don't like the idea of getting played, but it's important that the up and coming producers. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Know these things. Because these niggas are making hit records and it's like. Getting a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, they, they got a hit record now. So they're getting put in this position where they're not prepared for it. I'm hyped for the people that are taking all this in and learning this stuff before. So I mean, right. then hopefully, yeah. hopefully when it comes time, yeah, you know what I mean they they they, they tap can in. execute. Yeah, you have to get a, a freaking college degree from watching the play. <laughs> from all the, the the people that we're having on here, the amount of game you get it. I've learned stuff myself from watching, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm. less of the business aspect because it's more to do with like just just people's approach to marketing themselves this day and age yeah. not producers approach yeah cause I'm do you know what I mean I'm not 19 anymore mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so it's like learning how the young kids are doing it and how they get, got themselves on yeah that's big you know what I'm saying that's it's big. quite interesting definitely there's a lot to learn um man one of the last things we can't let you get out of here without talking about how your song was sampled yeah mm. not even a collab I'm talking about sampled by Drake and Khaled on Khaled's album man mm. Dude, that was the most random thing ever. Because um, I, I didn't understand where that came from. First of all, I didn't understand that people actually was aware of my track over here. So I didn't expect anyone to kind of sample the track. So I just got a random call that uh, Khaled wants to sample the track. And, oh, shit. All right, cool. Let's have a conversation. I get another call two days later. No, it's not only just Khaled. Khaled isn't flipping Drake. I'm like, oh shit. Like, I mean, I almost done the Soldier Boy thing. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> like, shit. Like, it's, it's Jizzy. He's like um, one of the greatest entertainers of our time. So, you know, when that came around, it was just by surprise. And then in turn, because the singer that actually was singing on the track, she wrote on the song, so she's got to clear the publishing side mm -hmm. of it. She dragged her feet, so I didn't think this record was coming out. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking, all right, cool, like, it's not coming out. It's a good idea, though. It's a good thing. Keep my mouth shut. Then um, my girlfriend at the time's mom, um, grandma just died, so it was the funeral kind of setting, right? And my phone just started to go crazy. Uh, People just ringing me, texting me, saying, yo, like, have you heard, have you heard, have you heard? Look on Twitter, you're trending. Because when, when the track dropped, I was just trending What's on Twitter. What's the name Twitter. of the track again? Uh, it's To The Max. To The Max. Yeah. I was trending on Twitter. I was like, what's going on? I thought the track weren't, you know what I'm saying? So it just dropped and it just became a thing, which is great. I'm, I'm happy they've done that because I think that um, put a decent bit of spotlight on me, man. We'll take that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we'll yeah. take that. And it's good to be attached to, in any way, shape, and form, to people like that. They're one of the greats to do what they do in our time. Yeah. Unexpected publishing on a Drake song? What? Well, hey, we're, hey, trying to, we're trying to figure that out. 
Because how it happened, it didn't happen the way I would have liked for it to happen. But it's not a bad thing if you know your rights and if you know, like, you know what I'm saying, your position, it will get figured out. So the main thing for me, I have no problem in the track coming out. We just got to figure the business out. But with that, like I said, you know what I mean? We'll figure that out. That's not an issue. The main thing was the track for the track to come out. I'm happy it fucking came out. I'm saying. Hell yeah. Mm. And now you got some leverage because it's been out for a minute. You know what I mean? Every, every little helps, I say. Hell yeah, man. Shoot, man. Appreciate you pulling up, man. A lot of good gems. This is one I definitely got to run back and watch myself, um, especially the publishing Shoot. stuff and the, yeah. the leveraging, the investment side of stuff. Like I said, man, picked up a lot of game just from you know, spending the time that we did just talking business, talking shop, yeah, no, talking, talking the game and stuff. But uh, everyone, let everyone know where they can go follow you if they're not familiar. Follow me on Twitter, T2Baseline. Instagram, T2 Baseline. I think that's about it. I ain't got a website or anything like that. Just follow me. Yeah, T2 Baseline. Spotify too. Spotify. Just type in T2. I should come up. I think I'm the only black guy. Yeah. <laughs> Called T2. Because, you know, there's different... People got similar names and shit. Mm. You know how that goes. But, yeah, just T2 Baseline and T2 on Spotify. And just type in T2 on Apple Music as well. We'll have some links in the description too, man. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Alrighty, man. Another dope episode in the books, man. Hit that subscribe. We signing up. Peace, y'all. Peace.